You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. So I have a strange prayer that, that I pray for the church, and I've actually been praying a lot in this season, and it's that we would be peculiar to the world. Like we would be different. People would be curious, like those people of Jesus are just a little bit off. Like, can I get an amen to that? Is that okay? Like we're just a little bit off. And, and let me dig down on why. I think right now in this moment, we are longing for these things right here, this upside down world, that, that our world right now would be shifted and turned upside down, like Jesus coming on the scene and saying, you thought it was this way, but it turns out it is this way. And that we would be a peculiar people that live this way. So we continue in this series talking about an upside down kingdom, a different way to live, a backwards way than our world would choose to do it. And let me also say, I believe this is a crucial moment right now. Time is ticking toward the election. This is the most divisive time I can remember in my lifetime. It feels like every word we say, every conversation we have, every post we give on social media is charged with something. And guys, this is a moment that I believe the world is longing for the world to be flipped on its head, for power to be flipped on its head, for those who felt uninvited to now be invited. And so we get to follow along the story of Jesus. We are grabbed by stories, and we're going to get to share Jesus in story, in narrative, in real life as he lived as a man. But I want to start with me in real life as a little boy. So yes, I used to have hair, if you're wondering. I was a towhead, blonde uh, little kid, and growing up, I was always playing in the neighborhood. I was running around, and my friend Brad lived across the street from me, about 50 feet away. And one of those moments that seared into my mind and heart that I will never forget was on a day I was in my room, you know, probably reading a book or planning my next adventure, and I remember coming up to the window, I heard something going on outside. And I came up to the window, and I put my eyes just above the windowsill, and I looked across the street to see a lot of people having fun at Brad's house. It looked kind of like a party. People were getting out of their cars, and and they had birthday presents. And then I saw the sign, Happy Birthday, Brad. And Brad was my best friend, I thought, and yet I didn't get invited to his birthday. And still, as a grown man, I will never forget that moment. And you probably have moments like that. Over the course of your life, you said, I wasn't invited to that. I wasn't allowed in. I wasn't part of that group. And I've had moments in my life, I'm sure you have in yours, when you could have been invited. You wanted to be at the table. You see that picture later. And the girlfriends went off on that trip, and you didn't get the invite. People got together and did that amazing thing, you weren't invited. This team has this new project, and they didn't think that you were wise enough to be on it. And it hurts, does it not? It hurts. It marks us when we're just not invited to the party, to the table, or to the opportunity. And I was reminded of this this week. I was flying, and as I was on the plane, I marched past all the first-class people. And don't they just look so happy? But they also have kind of a smug smile. Like, ha-ha, in the plane first, out first. I'm relaxing up here. And so I go back, and I'm kind of a tall dude, so there's no space to begin with. And I look up there, I'm like, oh, so much legroom. 
And they're like, oh yeah, we're not going to be serving any pretzels here. COVID canceled pretzel service. And I'm like, he has a steak. Like he, they're delivering a steak. Like, is that a hot towel? Are they giving free massages up there? What's happening? And then this is the kicker, guys. When the, when the stewardess just comes and closes that aisle and kind of looks at us like, yeah, you know you're not invited. Walks back in, right? You can't use this bathroom in the front. And I'm just like, oh, one more time I'm not invited to the table, right? Like it's real. We joke about it, but it is real. It is one of the things as humans that is most painful is when we are left out. And I want to say there's good news today. Jesus was the master of inclusion. He was always including people that everybody else wouldn't invite. And this made him, yes, peculiar, a little bit odd. People couldn't quite get it. He was showing dignity to those that culture showed no dignity toward. He was always inviting people closer to himself. He was the master of inviting people into spaces and relationships. So much so that at times he invited himself to dinner at somebody's house and he crashed a party. Like this is stuff Bill Murray does, okay? Like Jesus did it. He was that guy because he wanted to be in relationship with people and he was the master. Now, let me change this word a little bit, inclusion to invitation. Invitation. Because I believe this, who we invite into our lives shows a lot about us. And who we exclude from our lives also shows a lot about us. Who have you kept at bay in your life and who have you invited closer in your life? Like, oh man, it just got real in here this morning. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the life of Jesus, he was just bleeding this all the time. He was just saying, come on. Hey, you're weary, you're frustrated, you've been pushed aside, come on. And he's flipping the script of a story in our world that wants to leave people at a distance. Guys, we are living in cancel culture right now. One idea, one thought, one quote, one statement, one voting for the wrong person gets you canceled in somebody's mind. And that is so dangerous. It's death to relationship, friends. I mean, think about these stories throughout Scripture. You have Mary and Martha, and Martha prepares an amazing meal. And honestly, if you prepare an amazing meal, I already love you. So like, cheers to those preparing an amazing meal. And yet Jesus is saying, Mary wanted to be with me. Be with me. And he's saying that's even better than preparing the meal for me. Think about the prodigal. He tells this parable of, of wild living, this kid that runs off and says, I want what you have now. Death to our relationship. I want that over you, Father. He comes back with a hungry belly and a hungry heart. And the father says, come on back in. Meanwhile, the brother saying, I lived out the family plan. Where's mine? I wanted that full pig barbecue, and you gave it to my brother. How many times have we kept people out of our lives because we cared more about our reputation than we did about relationship? And we have commoditized people. Jesus was incredible at this. And here's three things I see from Scripture that are so important when you think about this topic. Jesus was inclusive with his team, his time, and his touch. His team, his time, and his touch. His team. If you recruited the team he did for your business or your nonprofit, I would sit down with you and say, I don't think you've heard from the Lord. There's a thing called competency. There's a thing called resume and experience. And I don't think you were looking for that. But who he brought on to his team 
said more about him, perhaps, than even his message through his team. His time, he spent his time around many notorious sinners. In other words, they were known in the community to not be good folk doing good things. They were notorious. They were known. And his touch, he literally touched people that others thought, physically, this is going to rub off on me. Relationally, this stigma is going to rub off on me. I'm not going to be around them. Because of their choices, because of their physical ailments, because they were on a lower caste system in culture. How many times do we withhold our touch from people? Now with COVID, I'm just saying, okay, be wise on this. But like, this is a time for us to rethink the idea. Wait a minute. Like, it's hard, isn't it? Like, not to greet people like we used to. And, and here's what I see. Kind of three groups that Jesus brought closer and the world pushed away. Number one, Jesus included groups who had made stigmatizing mistakes made stigmatizing mistakes. You ever done anything where you think, oh, they're not going to let me back in after this? Yeah, we all have. Yeah, they're not going to forgive me from this one. Yeah, I'm excluded from the group forever. I just got canceled. He was always inviting those who made stigmatizing mistakes. Number two, those trapped in oppressive systems. He invited those at the bottom of a system that at the top said, you are honored, you have the power, and he's flipping the script again from an oppressive system. And the last one, he's always inviting people closer who were born into shame. They were born into shame. Maybe the people group, the ethnicity they were born into, the ailment that they had, the issue that they struggled with, but they were born into it. They knew nothing other than shame. And Jesus showed them dignity by inviting them closer in relationship. So many stories in the life of Jesus. The woman at the well. Samaritans. They were always pushed away. They were that group. You don't associate with that group. And he is saying, come closer. Come into relationship. The lepers that were outcasts, people literally believed that the lepers physically would rub off on them, relationally would rub off on them. The tax collectors and the notorious sinners. So here we go. Here's a story of Jesus. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. Or he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. All right, let me stop there. Eating was a big deal. Who you ate with said a lot about you. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, they were at that table, I was at this one. Huge deal. It really signified relationships. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? All right, let me tell you what the Pharisees are trying to do. They are trying to cancel Jesus. Relationally, they are trying to stigmatize him, and then they are trying to kill him. They are trying to remove him out of the way because of fear. They want to cancel him because of fear. And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Guys, this is really good news. This is really good news. Because he's talking to us here. He's saying, I have come to invite those who have screwed up. Anybody? Those who have been pushed aside. Anybody? Those who haven't been invited to the party. Anybody? Yes. That we who once were far Jesus has invited us close, and that's good news. What about this Samaritan woman? 
this scandalous story. Let's read it. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. All right, let me tell you what I think is happening right here. She's giving him a free pass. You made a mistake. You were tired and thirsty. You, you should know who I am, and I am going to get out of this relationship, get out of this situation, because he has more to lose than her. And he does not walk away. He stays. Then his disciples returned. Just then, his disciples returned and were what? Surprised. Surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Let me translate again. They come and say, oh no, like this is bad. He's going to get canceled. This is actually going to be on Instagram. The hashtags are going to go crazy. This is not good. But you know what? None of them, them actually said anything to him. So they're actually just going to be like, oh man. So they're all thinking it. No one's saying it. And Jesus is not only in relationship with a Samaritan, but with a woman. He's alone. Scandalous. Don't just look for what Jesus said, but look for who he was saying it to, who he was in relationship with. We continue on. More stories of Jesus that just spill out of who he was. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. Guys, he was always around the crowds. There were always lots of people that wanted to hear him teach, but very few that wanted to obey. He finds himself in a crowd again. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. So she was stigmatized. Everyone knew. These were not secret things. That happened in culture. People said, oh yeah, her, here's what's going on. They believed something was wrong with her. She was not physically clean. She was not ceremonial clean, relationally clean. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. Okay, guys, this is kind of a funny moment. Because like, whenever something happens at my house, there's like a massive explosion that went off in the kitchen. Who did it? And everyone's like, I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Uh, yeah, someone broke into our house last night and threw all this stuff in our kitchen. But they're like, no, I, I didn't do it. No. And everyone's denying it. Peter said, Master, this whole crowd's pressing against you. Like, hey, there's no space, no social distancing up in here. Like, it could have been anyone. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell on her knees in front of him the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him that she had been immediately healed oh no she's going to get it right daughter he said to her your faith has made you well go in peace go in peace that's jesus he flips the situation from one who thought oh no she's in trouble you don't touch Jesus. That's a very intimate thing, especially in their culture. You don't touch Jesus. And yet he's saying, your faith has made you well. He's saying, you are welcome to come close and, and to be close. He flipped the script. And here is something that grieves me, <coughs> friends. We, as followers of Jesus, are not known as people 
who invite people closer. Too often we're known as people who push people farther away. We are often not known for our inclusion, but for our exclusion. And let me be really clear, guys. This morning I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about who gets access to heaven. I'm not talking about who can be saved. Like, that's God's job. That's God's deal. But I am talking about who we let close in our lives. Who we let close to us says a lot about us. And who we exclude also says a lot about us. Our fears, our insecurities. Anytime our reputation becomes more important than love, we will treat people like a commodity. We will use them and we will dispose of them when they can no longer help us climb this ladder of life. And that is the opposite of the way of Jesus. I'm telling you, God has dealt with my heart this year especially has dealt with my heart where there are groups of people, people who have been stigmatized, people who have said things, people have violently spoken out against or for something, and I have judged in my heart and God has spoken to me. And let me just be really clear about my sin, about my sin, about who I have held at bay because I don't want that to impact the way other people see me. And God has dealt with me and it is so freeing to realize, to confess, to go to God and say, God, search me. What do I not see about how I treat people? I have two kids that don't look like me. They're 16 and 12. They're from Ethiopia. And practicing listening before I speak, especially to my daughter, has shaped me, has formed me. I see God in new ways. I see people in new ways. A quote, a friend of mine, a pastor in New York City named John Tyson, he says this, I've seen the church be a place of breathtaking beauty, and I've seen the church in demonic squalor. The scars on my soul come from the church, as does the joy that has come to define me. As much as we all have things we hate about the failures of the church, we have been guilty of doing the very things we criticize in her. And, and let me just say really honestly, guys, it's real easy to throw rocks at the church and just say, oh, the church. But guess what? If we claim Jesus, we're part of the church. And I accept any rocks that are thrown at me. God, search my heart. That is the posture because I want to be someone that invites people closer, not someone that stiff arms them, not someone that cancels people, but when others cancel on them to be the first one that reminds them they are deeply and dearly loved. You are beloved. When our culture says you're canceled, you're done, you're trash, you're pushed aside. When our world unfollows people, ghosts people, even spreads rumors about people, would we be the people that step in? Peter tried to cancel Jesus, but Jesus never canceled Peter. Isn't that beautiful to watch? It gives me a lot of hope. You make a mistake and you're like, oh, I can't believe. At this stage of my life, I would do that, say that, and Jesus actually draws closer to him. What Jesus did and what Jesus said were impressive. But I'm perhaps most impressed by who Jesus did it through and how he did it. And let me say, guys, what I mean by how is posture. We could say the, all the right things, but say it in the wrong way. One scroll through social media and you will find bad posture. Just because something may be true or right doesn't mean that we can just jab it into somebody. What is our posture? And guys, let me invite you into a question that's been shaping me as well this year. What stigmatized P 
people can you invite into relationship? What stigmatized people, for whatever reason, they've been pushed aside and stigmatized, can you invite into relationship? I have a neighbor that immediately comes to my mind. In many people's book, he's that guy, okay? Maybe you have that guy, that gal around you. How can you invite them into relationship? Guys, invitation often looks like a few things. Number one, showing dignity. Practicing hospitality. If you don't know what to do, man, food and drink and your time and listening is a great start. Slowness to speak. I think we're all learning that in this season. Then we should be. How do I be slower to speak? How do I be quicker to listen? Attentiveness to listen. Not just am I hearing, but am I attentive? Am I leaning in and listening to what people with different views than me are saying? Different backgrounds, different ways of being raised. The last one, sacrificing for others. We are desperately in need of a sacrificial move of God through his church. Would we be sacrificial? And guys, let me just be really clear with you. When you take risks, when you step up to love people who have been canceled by others, you will take shots. No, no two cents about it. Some of you will feel like, man, I stand in the middle on one particular issue and I'm taking shots for both sides. Sounds kind of like Jesus. He's taking shots from his disciples. How could you? And he's taking shots from the Pharisees. How could you? Being misunderstood is one of the hardest things we will ever experience in our lives. God, I'm loving people, and you seem to be the only one that understands. And the good news is this. Jesus not only flipped exclusion into inclusion, but he flipped power into service. He could have come on a stallion, and he came on a donkey. He came to serve. This king who did not come on a throne, but who came on a cross, has a message for us, I believe, in this moment. Guys, Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate power play. The ultimate power play. Here's what they thought, and here's what we did. And God is sending his son, Jesus, into the world in a weak form, in our weak bodies, right? Our bodies are, I'm continually reminded how weak our minds and hearts and bodies are, into being fully God, fully man, and then to die on a cross, a symbol that you had been ultimately stigmatized, you had, been, you had lost and you died with a lack of dignity, and flipping that. One of my heroes, Henry Nowen, says, the way of the Christian leader is not the way of upward mobility in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending on the cross. Our world says, up and to the right, do this, go with these people. If these people can't go with you, leave them behind. And the way Jesus brought was downward mobility to serve. This guy named Jim Collins, he wrote this book called Good to Great, shaped many business leaders, and it still is. He did a study. So what are people looking for in leaders? Turns out, the servant leader. And, you know, sold millions of books, and it's like, you could have just looked at the Bible. The level five leader, turns out, is one who comes to serve. No surprise to any of us, right? Like, that's what we're looking for, is a leader who serves not a leader who comes just wielding power. Jesus, in the power he was given, flipped it in order to serve and ultimately ended in death and a cross. People wanted a political king. They got a teacher, healer, friend, advocate, and servant. A little different than they had imagined. And even Jesus, his, his kingdom is peculiar. People couldn't understand it. 
being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor in political party signs in your front yard. No, he didn't say that. Nor will they say, look, here it is, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. One translation says, it's here among you. It's already here. Like, guys, God is coming. Do not be fooled in the midst of division, in the midst of pain, in the midst of outrage, in the midst of what we've been through this last year, that God is done working. God is doing incredible things all over the world. We need a church. The world needs a church. I need to be part of a church that says, I want to serve in this moment. I want to be full of relational hospitality in a world that wants to bear down on you. Should you vote? Yes. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Vote with conviction and with prayer and think through that. But just remember this, guys. No matter who wins this election, Jesus is already on his throne. He's still going to be on his throne, and he's still going to be at work. And that gives me hope today. I need that. We need that. Here's another good reminder for you guys. Shalom is never accomplished through power, only through love. Shalom, this this wholeness, this gluing the world back together, this zipping together things that have been ripped, it does not come through power, it comes through love. And Jesus brings a different way. Great leaders deflect praise and they give other people the credit. Jesus was the ultimate example of that. He said, no, it's all because of the Father. I can't do anything except from what the Father has given me. And yet, all of the things that we have done, our worst sins, our worst issues, the worst mistakes we've made that should have gotten us canceled, he said, no, I'll take that. God gets the glory, but I will take on your shame and your pain. If you have not called on the name of Jesus, then I would invite you to think about a God that says the worst stuff you've ever done, bring it to me. I want freedom for you. Not for you to get canceled by other people. Not shame. Not so other people can say, oh, I remember you by this one mistake that you made. I want freedom for you. Think about this incredible woman, Mother Teresa. Like this sign, when I see her face, and when I see this smile, like she says, servant leader. She had a claim all over the world. And, and I only knew her as just this sweet old lady who was living out the way of Jesus. And we just admired her. Not one who came yielding power, but one who came to serve literally washing the feet of lepers in some of the poorest areas of Calcutta and around the world. And that is her legacy of serving. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, flipping the power on its head. How can you leverage power, my friends, into service? How can you leverage power into service? We all have power. We have positional power or relational power or financial power. And we can all leverage that into service. To serve somebody. There's somebody younger than you. There's somebody more needy than you. There's somebody that needs something that you have. How can you flip that and leverage? Because I don't know about you, but I got one life to live. And I want to leverage everything God has given me to serve. To show Jesus to the world. What does this look like? And how do we reverse power? Here, here's a couple of ways to start. Reversing power often looks like serving when you could be served, when you have the right or the privilege actually to serve other people. 
Seek others' opinions before sharing yours. I think we need to recalibrate this. Our culture does not seem to have much regard for this. Seeking others' opinions before sharing yours. Giving when you could receive. This has been humbling in my life. Many of the gifts I've been given, somebody rightly owned. And they said, actually, I choose to bless you. I choose to give and I choose to be generous. Turning down what you're entitled to, just because you feel like you've earned it or you feel entitled to it doesn't mean you need to receive it. The last one, not sharing or resharing our opinions that will hurt others. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's right or helpful or wholesome. Paul talks a lot about this. What is discerning? And in just a few minutes, I'm actually going to pray a prayer of discernment over for you. Uh, over you, which I believe discernment is just wisdom on the move, wisdom in real life. Anybody in here need discernment like me, like four hands up every day, like give me more, God. Like I'll take all of the discernment I can get to live in this moment right now. Guys, those living in the upside down way of Jesus leverage power to serve and leverage privilege to invite. You're like, oh, he said the P word. Yeah, I said privilege. I've been privileged in many ways that things that, that I could receive and yet are not for me. How will you use your power to serve and your privilege to invite other people to the table? Other people who feel excluded, whose conscience tells me I don't belong there. Ever been invited into a room that you had no business in? I've both been invited and snuck into rooms I had no business in, right? It's way easier to be invited. I feel way more honored and less scared when I'm invited. There's a name tag, and I go, I don't know why I'm here. These people are super important. They don't know I bought this suit at Walmart, but I am in the room. Jesus draws near and says, draw near like you are invited in relationship. Instead of a throne, he comes on a lowly cross. Instead of a stallion, he comes on a donkey. And guys, I just want to give you awareness in this moment that one month from today, half of our country will be disappointed, frustrated, angry, and probably deeply fearful. Do we know which half? Of course not. So I don't know who's going to win the election, but I know that it's going to be a continually divided moment. You know what I know about divided moments is people need love. People need care. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. Yes, go vote. But we have an opportunity to love like no other. And we have a window, and the window of time is shrinking in this moment. I believe that we're to live as wise and live as discerning in this moment, but to live as loving. Like, what would happen if instead of wielding power, we said, this is the moment I'm going to serve? What if instead of saying, these are the people I've carefully blocked out of my life, my social media feeds, my living room, relationships, this is the time I'm going to invite people in and create safe spaces. For me, those people are on our corner and we are drinking bad coffee together with mediocre, mediocre coffee at best with amazing people. And we sat on Thursday you know how much we talked about politics? Zero. You know how much we talked about the fact that we were lonely and COVID was hard and it was our families and, and there were tears in there the whole time? Guys, people want to talk, they want to be loved, and they want to be invited close. So I'm going to pray a prayer over you right now. 
I believe this is a moment. I want to pray a prayer of discernment over Trace Church right now. God, I thank you for my beautiful friends here at Trace Church who believe that truth and grace can go together today just as Jesus lived that out. And I pray a prayer of discernment. God, wisdom in motion, wisdom on the run. In this moment, it's hard to know what to say or not say, what to do, what to not do. And God, I pray that in this discernment, you would give them ways to love, that truth comes together with grace to bring wholeness, to bring love of Jesus in this moment where hate is so easily accessible, so easily available. It is one word away, one phrase away, one thing we could type away, God. We pray against a group of people, a family of faith here that cancels and instead ones who invite and say, come closer. I want to tell you about this man named Jesus. God, would we live in the example of your son, Jesus? Would we take all the power given to us and give it to others? And God, anything that you have blessed us with, would it flow through our hands, through our lives, and would we invite people closer to ourselves, and ultimately closer to your son, Jesus. In your name, amen.